Welcome back to the Growth Equation Academy. Last time, we talked about routines, the very practical day-to-day, how do you get yourself ready to go and go. Today, we're going to talk about motivation, what powers you to want to go and to keep going. So to understand motivation, we first have to dive into the science of fatigue. And to understand this, imagine you're exercising or imagine you're running a mile and you're going all out. And if you've ever run a mile, you get to the finish line, you crumble over, you're splayed out on the track, you feel like you've given everything you've got. And most of us would assume that that athlete gave everything they had. They left everything out on the track. There was nothing left. They look like they're dying. I've been there. If you've done any sort of exercise, I'm sure you've been there too. Well, Tim Noakes, a South African scientist, after watching races, after going through the lab, decided, you know what? I think they have more left. I think their muscles could, you know, produce more force. So what he did is he took a bunch of athletes into the lab. He had them do exercise until complete exhaustion, until they said, I can't do anything else. I am flat out done. And then he shocked their muscles. Why would he shock their muscles? To see if they would fire, to see if they would turn on and produce more force. And you know what happened? They did. The muscles themselves had more left in them. So if they were sitting there doing leg extensions and couldn't do another rep, well, guess what? When you applied the electrical stimulus, the muscle itself still could fire. It still could move. So what was going on here? Noakes, through a lot of different research, developed what he called the central governor model of fatigue, which essentially said the brain, not the body, shuts us down. And it shuts us down for a really good reason. It's trying to protect us. It's an adaptive mechanism. It says, you know what? We're going to shut you down before you cause you know, damage to organs our heart, whatever have you, because you're going to keep pushing if we don't shut you down. So the brain literally says, you know what, muscle, you're going to get tired. You're going to feel tired. You're going to get fatigued and shut you down before we did, did any damage. That's the central governor model. Well, another exercise science, Samuel Marcura, came up with another model of fatigue that is similar but a little bit uh, different, which is uh, worth going over. His is called the psychobiological model of fatigue. And what he said is, yes, we shut down early before we're completely, you know, truly fatigued and and out of energy. But he said, it's not probably not a central governor, our brain necessarily shutting us down. It's this battle between perception of effort, so how difficult something feels, versus this motivation and drive. So if we want to deal with fatigue and get closer to our depths of, you know, fatigue that we can handle, we can either make it feel easier, which is by training, right? We train to make a a certain pace or weight feel easier. Or on the other hand, we can increase our motivation and drive. If it means more, if we're competing for the state championship or have our team on our back and they're counting on us and we're in the hunt then that drive goes up and we can suffer a little bit more. We can handle a little bit more fatigue. Another way to think about this 
that is not scientific at all, but extremely practical is the following. Two weeks ago, I was at this creek where the water suddenly gets rather deep and it is springtime and the water is cold. I was playing fetch with my dog. My three-year-old boy was there too. I threw the $18 toy into the water a little bit too deep. My dog is a puppy. He freaked out. Instead of swimming to get it, he just let it go. I quickly took off my pants. I had boxers on, don't worry. And I was going to go into the water to chase the thing. I made it about four steps in and I said, there's no way I'm chasing this thing. The water is freezing. Then I thought to myself, imagine if it was my dog or even worse, my kid that was rolling away in the rapids. I have zero doubt in my mind that the cold water would have stopped me from going after them and getting them. The water wasn't that cold. It's probably 55, 60 degrees. It wasn't going to kill me. It was just uncomfortable enough where the level of effort it was going to take to get that $18 toy, my brain registered, hey, this is too cold for $18, not worth it. Whereas if the thing I'm chasing was infinitely priceless, you know, or if it would have been like $1,000 in a backpack, I probably would have chased it. So um, we see these examples all the time in real life where we don't have to be in some relay race or marathon, but it's simply, huh, like how hard is this? How much discomfort is this going to cause? And is the reward worth it? So what does this tell us about motivation? The first thing is if you want to be motivated in your life, you have to pursue things that are meaningful. That's what drives us to action. So I think that if you're an individual and you're thinking, well, what are the kind of things that are going to get me to show up? You want to pick things that are really important to you and that you feel are related to causes or rewards that are going to keep you coming back for more that you are going to suffer for. I'm sure there's been some poet out there that says, you know, want to live a good life, find things that you're willing to suffer for, because it's true. This also explains why a internal driver is so much more important than an external driver, right? Because if it's internal and it means something to you and it's intrinsic and it has this greater purpose, this greater sense, you're going to, you know, push so much harder than even if it's an external driver, even if it's that thousand dollars in that backpack. If it was your child or a good friend or someone like that, you're saving, it would be so much more dry, more powerful in your example, because there is that meaning to you. So let's look at... Can I say one quick thing, Steve? Another like profound example about that? So in the research literature, there are these acts of superhuman strength when people do things that are just like completely unexplainable by science. And they're rare, but they happen um, more than a few times a year. And the most common example is when someone lifts a car off of um, either a human or a pet that's stuck under the car. And what's fascinating is that if they were to offer that same person a billion dollars in cash to lift the front end of a car, that person would not be able to lift the car because their body would say, nope, nothing's worth it. You're going to throw out your back. There's a chance that you're going to completely mess up your whole musculoskeletal system. But when there's another life under the car, the brain that does you know, value versus effort calculations, it kind of throws out the effort and it says, holy crap, you have a chance to save another life. Go do it. And that's why people can lift cars off of trapped humans and animals, but even the top weightlifters in the world can't lift cars in competition. So the big examples like saving your child are easy to grasp the, the meaning of it and how that can be a motivator and drive. But how does this work on a everyday, you know, timescale, everyday life? Well, you know, one of the studies that really highlights this to me is 
the study they did on hospital janitors, right? The people who clean the bedpans, mop the floors, dealt with, you know, a whole manner of bodily fluids, all that kind of stuff. And for most of us, we would consider that job to be something, you know, mundane, undesirable, something that, you know, many of us wouldn't wouldn't want to do. But when researchers said switch things up and they said, hey, you know, instead of looking at janitors as being this mundane job, but being as necessary as being a vital component of the hospital or wherever they were working to keep things clean so that infection didn't spread, that they were literally saving lives. What happens when they switch that framing for this position is the janitor's people not only perform better, but they reported higher satisfaction levels when their job was framed as being integral to you know the healing and safety of the patients. And this led hospitals to eliminate the word title janitor and and custodian and instead you know use phrases as the health health and safety team member or environmental health worker and we've seen this actually a lot during covid right where um custodians health and safety team members whatever you'd like to call them um, have been framed as vital and critical because they're, they were performing these jobs of cleaning, of making sure the environment was safe, of ensuring that COVID spread was minimized in these hospitals that were, were already pushed to the brink. And again, it allowed them to you know, perform better, go through and manage very difficult tasks, and hopefully prevent them from burning out because they're doing it for a higher cause than they would be if we just labeled them as cleaning the floors or whatever other demeaning thing it could be. Yeah, another example that draws to the power of getting beyond yourself and doing something for a higher cause is um, our dear friend, the runner Shalane Flanagan, who in the New York City Marathon, when she's breaking away, perhaps going to become the first American to win the race in decades, finish line is a few miles down the road, she's hitting the proverbial wall, all is going to shit. Well, she tells me she's not thinking about herself and how great it would be to be a champion. She's thinking about her husband and how much he sacrificed for her to get to this level of competition. And she's thinking about her training partners, all the women that have put in hours and hours of blood, sweat, and tears to all compete together to get the most out of themselves. And she said that when her mind went to that place, she was able to find that extra gear to grind it out and push through the fatigue. So it's really important to try again, I can't reiterate this enough, to choose your endeavors based on how meaningful they are. And we're talking, this stuff's happening deep down in the brain. So the brain knows if you're an investment banker trying to make $4 million because you love money, but you're telling yourself, well, I'm doing it because it'll make the world a better place by investing in all these companies. Like if you really believe that, then your brain will know and you'll be able to push really hard. But if you're telling yourself a bullshit story, your brain will know too, and you won't be able to push really hard. So it's about finding things that motivate you and that are meaningful to you in a way that is real, not just in a way that you're paying lip service to. Hi, y'all. The Growth Equation is 100% member-supported and independent. We don't take sponsorships because we find so many of the products and services that sponsor podcasts like ours simply don't work. So instead, we have an exclusive membership program. For the cost of a cup of coffee, you get access to deep dives on everything we talk about in this very show. 
how-to guides, special podcast, signed copies of our books, a live monthly discussion group, and a live mastermind group with other members. To learn more and sign up, visit www.patreon.com slash the growth equation. It's a win-win. You support the sustainability of the show and you get so much in return. You can't fake it. And you know, that that reminds me of the story we told at the beginning of this, the lifting, the superhuman strength, the lifting of the car off the child, for example. There's a reason that you can't do that even for, you know, prizes of millions of dollars. Why? Because your brain knows. Your brain knows that you're not actually in this, you know, uh, terrible state where you have to perform this action or else, you know, dire consequences occur. So what if you're in a job where you don't feel like you have this huge sense of meaning and you need to keep working because you need to pay rent, you need to have food, shelter, support a family, what have you? Does it mean that all hope is lost and that you're just going to have to go through the motions forever? I don't think so. If you are feeling that way, my advice would be to keep working that job, not to just quit and throw out the salary but also to start per- per- pursuing some side gigs that give you meaning. And we're actually going to talk about that in a future episode. But for now, what I'd say is if you can come up with a list of core values or things that really matter to you in your life, things like relationships, family, creativity, intellect, discovery, spirituality, awe, you name them, the list goes on. And you can try to practice those core values regardless of the environment that you're in you tend to feel better, be better, and get more out of yourself. Now, again, you can't lie to yourself. If you're an executive for a tobacco company, but one of your core values is love and spirituality, you are either having some massive cognitive dissonance that's beyond my pay grade, or you're lying to yourself. You're not going to get more out of trying to sell tobacco telling yourself that you're in it because you love children. But barring such far extremes, if you can actually bring to bear those values and integrate them into your life, regardless of what you're doing, Whether you're writing books and doing podcasts and coaching like we are, whether you're a landscaper, whether you're working in a corporate environment, you tend to be able to feel better and actually do better in the world because most people's core values tend to be pretty enlightened. We all want to do good things in the best that we can. The issue is when sometimes we get taken astray, core values help bring us back, keep us on the path. And just to reiterate, it's really important that these are real things and not slogans. There is a difference between slogans and core values. So make sure that they're aligning with um, what you do. And what do you do once you have those core values? I think, you know, in terms of motivation, it's important to utilize those when you need them, which is setting up reminders or having reflection periods or visual cues, which help remind you during difficult times when motivation is waning. So for instance, sitting in front of me and my desk while I'm recording this podcast where I actually do most of my writing are a couple sticky notes of just some nice reminders that remind me, okay, what am I trying to accomplish? What are my values? Why am I spending the time, hours, you know, trying to work through writer's block to get this done Um, in the athletic realm with several of the teams that I've coached and worked with a lot of times uh, before big competitions or meets, they'll actually write a a word on their hand and they'll tell me, Hey, when I'm in the middle, when I'm, you know, in the middle of the hurt locker and feeling it and 
my motivation is waning. I'll look down, look at, you know, what I wrote, which could be teammates. It could be, you know, whatever have you, that it's just a reminder that I'm in this, um, for more than just, you know, my own performance, that others are around me, that I'm trying to, that this reflects who I am and uh, is part of what I value and I choose and want to do this. So having visual cues, reminders, mantras, reflection, internal self-talk that you utilize is a great way to put these values to, uh, to work. All right. So we'd be remiss not to address something that happens to just about everyone, if not everyone, at some point in life, which is when you feel like you don't have any meaning and you don't have any purpose. This can manifest as feeling lost for a period of time, or it can manifest as a severe depression. So what do you do when you're feeling lost when you have no meaning and purpose? The first thing I'd say is don't judge yourself. Again, it is part of the human experience to go through periods of time when at best you're just going through the motions, and at worst you're questioning, what's the point of all this? Second thing I'd say is if you're repeatedly questioning what's the point of all this, and it's leading to thoughts of self-harm, of not wanting to get out of bed, of not finding meaning in anything, and those are sustained, you should get help from a professional. Again, these things happen more commonly than we think. Mental health professionals can help. Medication can help. Therapy can help. That's beyond what we're going to try to do on this show. But for the more subclinical feelings of being lost, well, this is very paradoxical. You can do two things. You can either give yourself a big rest and a chance to recharge and reboot. Going back to stress plus rest equals growth, a big um, indicator of burnout is a loss of meaning and purpose. And it might just mean that you need to shut down for a while, rest, and then when you come back to work, work in a more sustainable way. Why it's a paradox is because the other thing that it can mean is you actually have to snap yourself back into action. So the research literature calls this behavioral activation. One of our favorite podcast hosts, Rich Roll, calls this mood follows action. I like to say you don't have to feel good to get going. You need to get going to give yourself a chance at feeling good. And basically, sometimes you can just get in a rut and feel like crap And no amount of thinking or mantras or note cards or core values is going to make you feel motivated. You actually just have to show up and start doing the thing. So what can seem like a fairly trivial example is this. During uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and quarantine, um, for the first time in my life, I was training completely alone. And I think I probably did between 240 and 270 workouts that year. If I had to feel good to get started, I would have done between seven and nine workouts. Most days, I had zero interest in training. It felt like a schlep. It felt like a hassle. But once I got going, 10, 15 minutes into the workout, I was thrilled that I was doing it, and I felt really good after. So it's really important to remember that sometimes that purpose, that motivation, that meaning is not going to be there, and there's no amount of thinking or willing yourself to do it. You either need to rest to give your mind-body system a chance to reset, or if you feel like you're stuck in a rut and there's inertia behind it, You have to snap yourself back into action. The final thing I'll say about this is it's really complicated and nuanced because oftentimes what you need to do first is rest. But then once you shut things down, that rest can have an inertia to it when you can't get out of it. So it's why in athletes, what you see in a taper is, yeah, you shut things down for two weeks, but you still have these periods of intensity right before the rest to kind of snap yourself back out of it. So these things can be completely binary, but sometimes they're non-binary. Sometimes what you need is to shut things down, rest, reset, get help, 
And then after a week, two weeks, a month for real severe cases of overtraining and burnout, maybe a year, you have to snap yourself out of it by action. The only thing uh, I'd add there in terms of taking action is sometimes to get out of this, we'll call it lack of motivation, this burnout um, kind of rut you're in, is you can take an action that is not directly related to the activity, which is giving back in that same area. Giving back is a key component of keeping yourself motivated, reigniting that flame and avoiding burnout. Why does this happen? Well, it helps give you perspective, right? It helps you realize that what you're doing is more than just, um, you know, yourself. It helps others. So, for example, whenever I early in my career uh, was kind of burned out in running itself, what did I do? I volunteer coached. Why did I do that? Well, it helped me reignite my love for the sport that I lost because I realized with the kids, the high school kids that I was coaching, the joy that I once had for it and the joy and enthusiasm they had and the joy and enthusiasm I could have for helping them reach their goals. And it recentered what it was all about for for me. That same thing applies to other avenues, other jobs. It's why service is a key component of AA. It's why volunteering, mentoring, all of these other things has been studied in the research, particularly by uh, psychology professors. I believe it's Shelley Taylor. And then Adam Grant has done some work on this too, where giving back helps alleviate this sensation of burnout and helps recenter your focus and your motivation in a positive direction. Love it. So I think that it's important to note too, with the giving back, much like any of these mood follows action techniques, you have to determine like, is the reason that I'm feeling unmotivated is because I'm overworked, I'm burnt out, I'm depressed, in which case generally the solution is rest and self-care and beyond self-care, getting help for yourself from others versus was I in one of those phases and now I want to break out of it and or is this more of um like a surface level kind of rut, the beginning of burnout where you don't need that long period of shutdown. You don't need so much help. You can snap yourself back into action. So the recap on motivation, it's easier to be motivated for things that are meaningful. The more meaningful they are, the harder you'll push, the harder you'll endure fatigue, particularly if these meaningful things can get beyond yourself. When you lose motivation, don't freak out. Try not to freak out, I should say. It's totally normal. It can feel discombobulating. You can feel lost. The thing to do there is either to shut down rest or paradoxically to push yourself into action. And sometimes you need to do both. So that's it. That's the Growth Equation Academy on motivation. Uh, We thanks for listening. And we will be back next week where we are going to switch from motivation to um, passion or drive or kind of the next level of the gift and the curse of caring so deeply about something that you become so hyper single-mindedly focused on it. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.